I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Could it be that extraterrestrials came to this world to aid ancient man's evolution? Ancient astronaut theorists believe this could be true, with evidence in the ancient Egyptian and Sumerian civilizations who achieved hundreds of firsts for humans, including advances in writing, agriculture, science and mathematics. There have been many times when I look up at the stars and the beautiful bright moon and suddenly I am hit with emotion. Sometimes I'll start to cry with the enormity of it all, And then I shake my head and ask, what the hell is it all about? And then, where did we all come from? I will admit this usually does follow a couple of glasses of wine, the crying bit, of course. But I really do get emotional, as I'm sure billions of other human beings do too. Growing up, I always believed that a large man dressed in a white robe and a huge beard watched over us, made sure we were all being good, and the naughty people, I'm sure, were punished. I said my prayers at school and really believed in heaven and hell. When I came into my teens and young adulthood, I began to question all that I'd ever believed and decided that no loving God would cause so much death, war and destruction. And so began my belief in nothing. No heaven, no hell. When you're dead, you're dead. That was my mantra. My life was a happy one, but there was always this nagging, tugging in the back of my mind. When I'm dead, I won't see these trees anymore, or the beautiful blue sea or sky. And it made me really sad. It wasn't until I began my journey with my beautiful husband Carl investigating haunted locations that my belief in a nothingness was well and truly stamped out. So now I fully believe in life after death. I believe we go on to live somewhere else, another plane, another dimension. I've been told by countless spirits that this is the case. And now that nagging, unhappy feeling has totally disappeared to be replaced by happiness, joy and tons of love. Now that I know personally that we live on, I now strive to find out where we came from and why we are on this planet in this enormous multiverse. Who put us here and why? I've currently been reading this amazing book called Slave Species of the Gods by Michael Tellinger. This book is absolutely fascinating and I can wholly recommend it for you guys to read. It's basically a non-fictional account of new archaeological and genetic evidence using the findings of pre-biblical clay tablets that date back over 200 
thousand years ago. The tablets, when they were found in these mysterious caves, were translated and they revealed an account of an ancient civilization that predated the Sumerians and Egyptians. A race, according to these tablets, a race known as the Anunnaki arrived from a distant planet to Earth. They created us, we humans, as slaves to mine gold. They turned off the majority of our DNA, the genome. Why? And what would happen if part of our DNA was turned back on again? Well, Michael Tellinger is a scientist and a researcher. And when I began to read the book, I was like, mm, I'm very dubious about this. Really? An anarchy who? Slaves to mine for gold? I mean, could these tablets that have been unearthed and transcribed just be man's earliest novel, a story, a huge story for entertainment purposes. Nonetheless, I was incredibly intrigued and so I read on and now I can't put the book down. I still don't know what to believe but I have to say it's absolutely fascinating and this book is very very big very very detailed and uh, the the author Mr Tellinger does go into an awful lot of detail but he explains it to you know the the bio, biology of cells of DNA and and where we came from uh, very very uh, clearly so people like me the layman can, can understand it so what I wanted to do is to actually read to you the first couple of pages from the book. Um, and I, I just found that the author puts exactly what I and many of my friends and colleagues think. He puts it so succinctly onto the page. And I hope you find it just as intriguing as I do. Chapter one, animal behavior. Ever since I first became interested in genetics, it has always intrigued me that such an important part of our anatomy, the genome, a molecular structure so refined, should have been created incomplete. Actually, the truth is that the genome was created in abundance with large parts of the structure that are not being used at all. It's as if the inactive parts of the genome are waiting for some extrinsic factor to switch them on. The question begs which unimaginable characteristics or super abilities are the dominant parts of the genome not controlling? What human abilities are they hiding? And how has this affected our evolution as a species? The genome is just another name for the full complement of genes and DNA contained by an individual. In humans, the genome consists of 23 pairs of chromosomes that contain the entire genetic program for that specific individual and is located in the nucleus of every cell in our bodies. This genetic program controls all the information that allows us to grow and function. Our genome is unique for every individual and every species. When we are born, we are blissfully unaware of what awaits us. There might be seven ages of man, but it all ends up woven together into a long reality performance directed by some invisible force. We're all given some 70 years to do our performance here on Earth, on average. The rest is up to each of us. Enter stage left, exit stage right. The only certainty we have at present is that we will exist. What are you going to do with your 70 years? What is the purpose of this journey, this play of life that we all participate in? 
Will you use this time creatively, make a contribution to the global community of beings? Or will you be a mere spectator, a usurper of facilities before you exit stage right? Despite the 7.9 billion people who populate the Earth, the human race is a rather fragile and primitive species. No matter how intelligent and smart we think we are, we constantly display signs of basic animal behaviour that can lead to the decimation of our kind in the blink of an eye. We have waged war on our fellow man throughout history and continue to do so into the 21st century. There always seems to be a moral high ground or justification for our action. From Cain and Abel to George W. Bush, it has always been the strong and powerful who oppress and wipe out the weak. The Old Testament of the Bible is not a pretty tale of compassion and forgiveness. In fact, quite the opposite. It talks about an eye for an eye, wiping out man, woman, child and beast in the name of God and often mentions the enemy by name, personifying them as the bad guys or disciples of the devil. It seems that God has been taking sides from the very beginning. He had his favourites and then there were the others. I always felt that the God I have been told about should be more impartial and loving. The Bible is filled with prophets and other individuals who for thousands of years had a direct link to God and who on a regular basis received instructions from God to do certain things. When reading the Bible, it's not only deemed normal, but it is expected for us to take for granted and to believe that a number of chosen people received such regular instructions from God. Not only did they receive clear instructions and warnings, they received physical instructions in the form of the Ten Commandments and rewards of a material kind like land or cattle. But the most impressive interactions between God and man were the many visitations God made in person to various individuals. If he could not make it in person, he would send angels to deal with whatever situation needed to be dealt with. The divine beings would share ideas, share wine and bread, and inevitably God would instruct the person to perform certain tasks. All of these individuals seem to have been men, and all of the people who contributed to the scriptures of the Bible were also all men. If he created us all equal, did God have a problem with the credibility of women, or was God just the personification of a male-dominated society? The simple historic fact remains that God actually physically interacted with man. Today, such claims of a physical interaction with God would draw strong criticism and ridicule. Why is that? Is it perhaps that such events in prehistory cannot affect us here today? We seem to accept it when it happened in ancient history, almost reduced to some fantastic fairy tale of our struggle for freedom. Or is it simply because we're too scared to analyse the facts for fear of victimisation by playing such arguments in the public domain? These questions have troubled me for most of my life. And who then decided that the Bible had reached its conclusion? That is now enough. It is now the end. And the final chapter must be written. Obviously, this was another man inspired by God and dictated to by the Holy Spirit. Surely the quest for truth and salvation continues. Surely the atrocities on earth have not abated. Surely the people of earth need ongoing guidance and instructions from God on how to deal with modern day mayhem and crime. How to respond to dictators. How to survive colonisation, racism, invasions and other inventions of evil minds. Our capacity for cruelty as a species has reached unbearable proportions. 
We make rules as civilized beings, only to be abused and used against us by less civilized individuals with a good knowledge of the legal system. Those who preach peace and love and turning the other cheek have become the weakened victims of their own philosophy. Now more than ever, people need salvation. They need something real to believe in and to hold on to in times when all hope seems to have vanished. So why are the scriptures not ongoing? Why is God not dictating more wisdom through one of his prophets? Or many of his prophets? Some say he is. Many claim that they are in contact with God on a regular basis. Many convey God's messages in packed churches and other places of worship. How does the global community respond to individuals who make fantastic claims of miracles and hearing God's voice and having the answer? Well, in many cases, these modern prophets rise to a cult status with a blind following of disciples who will respond to every command, whilst in other cases they are reduced to cranks with a loose screw. So how should a judge in the 21st century respond to a guy who has tied up his 10-year-old daughter to a table in the backyard and who is caught by police in the process of stabbing her to death or slitting her throat? If he claims that God has instructed him to sacrifice her to prove his obedience to the Almighty Lord, should such a character be seen as an example of a modern faithful or a psychopath? Yet we look at Abraham as a faithful man of God with strong principles and a leader of men because he obeyed God's instructions to kill his own son. The Bible, however, calls it sacrifice. Would we see it as such if it happened today in a wealthy suburb of Johannesburg or Paris? It is truly a confusing state of religious activity out there. Thousands of religions, all of them man-made, all claiming that they have the answer. Only their followers will be saved by the Maker and bask in the pleasures of paradise. It seems that the more money they have, the more power they wield and the closer to God's ear they can get. And so the religious argument begins and we clearly display the primitive side of our low evolutionary state. Are these the primitive characteristics that could be controlled by the inactive genes? We look at the past great civilizations and somehow we feel superior. The fact that we cannot explain many things from prehistory is quickly discarded as who cares about the Egyptians? They're all dead. In the light of all our achievements and scientific discoveries, the more we evolve, the stronger the religious dogma becomes. It seems that the religious dogma, which could also be called fantasism in this case, is directly linked to money. The wealthier a nation, the more they can enforce their particular religious views on others. But then we start to look at who we really are and the road that we have travelled as a species on this planet, only to realise that our presence here does not even equate to the tip of the iceberg. We marvel at the dinosaur fossils and talk about what it must have been like here on Earth when dinosaurs roamed. We throw around numbers like 60 million years when they were extinct, 200 million years when T-Rex caused havoc, and 400 million years ago really makes us gasp at the fossils of insects in the museums. Then we start comparing the timescale to famous events in our own frame of reference. The First World War a hundred years ago, Leonardo da Vinci 500 years ago, the Vikings some 1,200 years ago, Mohammed some 1,400 years ago, Jesus 2,000 years ago, the pyramids 4,000 years ago, the last ice age some 13,000 years ago. By then, most of us run out of reference points. And then one day, something miraculous happens. We lift our eyes up at the night sky filled with billions of stars and we try to imagine infinity. Someone points out Mars and Jupiter, 
And then you look through a telescope, and for the first time you see Saturn with its rings, and even several of its moons, and suddenly the reality of it all changes somewhat. It all becomes a little bigger. You look at Alpha Centauri and realise that the light from the closest star to us takes five years to reach us, travelling at 300,000 kilometres per second. You go to a lecture by an astronomer and see pictures of galaxies so far away, it's impossible to imagine the distance. Galaxies a billion light years away, supercluster galaxies five billion light years away, ultra hot quasars some 12 billion lights away, right at the edge of the unknown universe, and then some 13.8 billion light years away, just blackness, nothing. You sit in silent contemplation as you try to digest the reality of what you have just witnessed. You have just looked beyond the edge of the known universe where nothing exists. But when you wake up in the morning and try to explain your epiphany to a group of close friends, they share your excitement for exactly 15 seconds before one of them pronounces, Hey, did you guys see that cool movie on TV last night? With all the valiant attempts and sometimes remarkable discoveries by archaeologists, we still cannot pinpoint the origin of humankind. Oh, scores of scientists will argue and give you all kinds of evidence and proof, only to be rewritten by some new scientist five years from now. It is all calculated speculation presented to us either as scientific hypothesis or religious dogma. But in reality, all it ends up being is more manipulation of the pieces of the great human puzzle. We cannot tell when civilised man first walked the earth and we cannot tell when man was created or how man evolved with a definitive level of certainty. And then the book goes on to talk in great detail about these tablets and what was written on them and their meanings. And remember, these tablets, they've been analysed and aged at over 200,000 years that's when they were written. It's just incredible to me. Uh, but as I said at the beginning, are these tablets that have been translated, are they just a story? Well, this book that I've just read an excerpt from by Michael Tellinger really goes into depth about these tablets and what they mean. And he really believes that this species, the Anunnaki, came from a different planet, a distant planet, and that they created us. And he says he has proof. So I love reading this kind of stuff. So again, it's called Slave Species of the Gods by Michael Tellinger. And uh, yeah, get it and let me know what you think. Well, I definitely believe we were created by another species. We're too intricate. Animals, planets, everything on the planet has been created by something. Now, I don't believe it was a Big Bang and I don't believe we evolved from apes and certainly we're not guarded or created over by a man with a big beard uh, dressed in a white smock. I believe in something much bigger and maybe one day we'll find out for sure. Although, can you imagine the upset and upheaval it would cause around the world if a huge UFO appeared, the mother of all alien spacecraft claiming to be our curator? Thinking about it, I'd probably make a bad smell and just run and hide under the bed. This week's story is from Kristen, who was shaken up from a visit from a little girl. My name's Kristen, and I grew up in a farmhouse on the Isle of Man. It's not really an unsettling house at first, but... Um, 
There's definitely rooms in the house that make your arm hair stand right on end. Sometimes you'll hear footsteps upstairs, but nobody's there. Not just creaks and not just the house settling, but very clear footsteps walking a very clear path. It's a house that I just don't like to walk around at night, to be fair. My story takes place in my bedroom when I was around eight or nine years old. I shared the room with my little brother in a bunk bed. The bedroom had a door with windows that opened straight out into the lounge. One night, I woke up and I instantly felt on edge. I casually turned to face the door and there, through the windows, stood a little girl. She was only maybe five or six, but she was just staring straight at me. I was instantly petrified. I couldn't move, I couldn't call for my brother. I was just trapped and all I could do was stare right back at her. She wasn't sad, she wasn't happy. She was just completely expressionless. After possibly about two to three minutes, I finally forced myself to close my eyes and I kept them closed for about 10 more minutes. I was finally plucking the courage up to open them again. She was gone and I climbed down and just woke my little brother up and had a chat with him. From that night on, I always forced my mum to make sure the curtains were shut on that door before she went to bed. But even though they were shut, I could still feel like there was something there. Well, Kristen, I definitely think that you did see a spirit person. Um, the fact that she didn't interact with you makes me uh, think about the time that I saw my very first ghost. I don't know if you remember my story uh, with the World War II soldier at the end of my bed. And he just stared at me, just like the little girl stared at you. No expression, no nothing. And when you get spirits like that, that don't interact, it does make me think, is it a memory? Is it stone tape theory? You know, was the little girl uh, living in the house before, you know, from many years ago, or was she, she associated with the land before your house was built? I don't think that it's anything evil or negative at all, uh, but it must have been very frightening. I know I was terrified and I was an awful lot older than you were when you uh, experienced this visitation. But thank you so much for sharing uh, the story. It absolutely fascinates me when we get our stories in. Uh, and I love the fact that so many of you are telling me about all these different encounters. There's something really creepy about seeing a child ghost though. Why is that? Why do we get so creeped out by children ghosts or hearing a little girl giggle or laugh or cry? It sends shivers down my spine just thinking about it. And I've experienced many, many cases where, um, you know, children uh, and their spirits are very prevalent in lots of haunted locations. But I think the worst one is when you get a, a child spirit that's uh, malevolent. That That's not particularly very nice. And I think that's where an awful lot of these sort of Hollywood movies, they take these sort of cases and stories and they build them into these massive blockbuster horror films. And then, of course, that's in the back of your mind, isn't it? When you see or hear a child spirit, you suddenly start thinking of, oh, I, I'm just trying to think of... Um, uh, some of the, the, the child ghosts films, but because I don't watch any of them, I wouldn't know, but you're probably shouting at, uh, at me now, aren't you? I mean, one of the, one of the films I can think of at the top of my head is The Others starring Nicole Kidman. I mean, it just blows my mind that film every single time. Absolutely fantastic. But having those children in that house 
uh, in the Victorian times. Ooh, sends a shiver down my spine. Mum's The Word is a brand new parenting podcast hosted by me, Ashley James. Pregnancy, piles and all the other problems that come with parenting, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. Join me each week on my journey through motherhood as we celebrate the amazing highs as well as the lows. As it's my first time, we'll have celebrities, experts and hopefully you guys too who will help me figure out what the hell I'm supposed to be doing. Find us wherever you got this podcast. Just search Mum's The Word. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back. Before we jump into our chat with the Research and Witness Boys, Lindsay got in touch on Facebook to ask, Hello, I'm a big fan of Most Haunted and have watched the show from the very beginning. I have recently re-watched it and still love it. I'm a believer, but my partner is really sceptical and he always asks me the same questions. And I wonder if you could answer these too. Why are the Most Haunted vigils always carried out at night time? Why not during the day? Also, do the lights have to be off? That's a brilliant question and I have been asked this many, many times, uh, Lindsay, uh, and you're quite right, or your partner is quite right to be uh, sceptical over this. Um, and his first thought would be, well, it's obviously done in the dark, so they can throw things around or, you know, it, they can fake stuff. But um, there are a couple of episodes, and I'm thinking of the top of my head, one's called Stand and Hall, which I think you can get on YouTube, uh, where a lot of the phenomena was actually caught in the daytime. Uh, we go round in the daytime um, with our uh, cameras. Uh, we walk around, myself and Glenn, who's our resident sceptic, uh, and we talk about the history and the hauntings. And a lot of the time, um, whilst we're doing the, the walk around in the daylight, we capture phenomena. Um, and it really is quite quite exciting when that does happen. Um, also, we have lots of locked off cameras that are left in rooms uh, throughout the day before it gets dark. And those cameras have actually caught objects moving on their own, voices, noises, uh, strange light forms. Uh, please check out Standon Hall because that's a, a, an example. I'm just thinking off the top of my head that you can uh, show your, your other 
half and uh, hopefully you'll go, okay, I understand that. The other reason why we do it at night time is because it's about energy. If you are going into a haunted location and it's nice and sunny outside, you're less likely to be frightened. So when you go into a haunted location and it's pitch black uh, and you know it's a a horrible, creepy place and you're feeling the energy, you're pushing out more energy. And allegedly, according to the spirits that we've spoken to, they need the energy to feed off, to interact with us. So the more nervous energy we push out, the more they can grab onto and do things for us. So I hope that answers your questions. And uh, yeah, enjoy Standon Hall. Well, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined yet again by Alan and Harrison Raw, who are from Research and Witness. And they spend much of their spare time investigating UFOs, UFO cases, and uh, delving into the theories of ancient aliens, amongst many, many other things. You've been on the podcast before, and it's an absolute delight uh, that you've come back again. Thank you guys for joining me. I really appreciate it. It's great to be here. So I have been reading this amazing book, um, and it's called Slave Species of of the gods um and it's it's by uh, michael tellinger and you've probably heard of it or read it yourselves um do you guys want to sort of explain probably a lot better than myself actually what an ancient astronaut theorist sort of believes in the overview is that they believe uh, that um aliens came to earth uh, or somebody came to earth and uh, altered our history yeah uh, altered our history yeah, and made us who we are today. And they may have left again or they may have stayed here and we just don't know about them. Or maybe we are them. Uh, but that's the idea is that there yeah. is a there is a history before our accepted written history, um, which is quite different. So what do you guys think to this this theory? I mean, do you believe in it? Do you think that, um, you know, we came from another species, from a far off distant planet? Again, it's obviously it's up for discussion, but my personal belief is that um, maybe as far back as 100,000 BC, maybe earlier, um, extraterrestrials known as the Anunnaki come from another world, um, widely believed to be Nibiru, um, but it's up for discussion where they actually come from, and that they sort of... Well, the belief is that the world that they come from, uh, their atmosphere wasn't doing too well, just like ours wouldn't be um, doing so well in the near future. Um, And they come here looking for gold, mining gold, because that could patch up the different holes in their atmosphere. They found it was pretty difficult, so they did genetic engineering to have humans as the slave species to do that. I mean, do the mining for it, basically. Yeah, yeah I, mean, uh, I mean, I'm as you know, I'm more of a sceptic than Harrison, uh, and I find it all very difficult to believe, but there is a lot of evidence to suggest that the history that we have uh, been taught in schools is not the history um, that fits with the evidence. So you've got some... You've got a lot of, there's a lot of experts, scientists and researchers who are experts in their field who all agree that there is a lot more to early history than has been written about. There's also the problem of religion and that uh, the Bible is often seen as a historical text. And um, 
and of course it's not very detailed and there are there are other texts which predate the bible which the bible took stories from and sort of rewrote and just made them um easier to tell shorter less detail in them and those the original texts are much more detailed and within those details lies big differences which would mean that the history that we have now come to accept in schools isn't actually accurate and that there was uh, a lot that happened before that is not really talked about i mean it's fascinating isn't it i mean it it would blow <laughs> it would upset like i've just been saying on on the episode that it would blow so many theories and so many religions out of the water and maybe that's one of the reasons why it's almost like we're not allowed to find out the truth because maybe it would cause all out war. Can you can you imagine the mayhem that it would that it would cause if they found out 100% that we did descend from another race? And why is it that, you know, the Pentagon of of hidden, you know, as we talked about last time, all this amazing information that it's all very very top secret i mean out of all the evidence that we've you know heard of and we've seen and, and, and we've we've read in your you know for you which do you find the most compelling which bit sticks out well i suppose what it is is that there are there are stories that we believe to be true and um and aren't generally questioned and then there are earlier versions of the stories, which are the original versions, which have a lot more in them. But we don't believe the extra bits. And I find that quite surprising. So if, for example, you take an expert like Irvin Finkel, and Irvin Finkel is the curator of the British Museum. He is an expert on cuneiform writing. He has tablets, which came from uh, the Great Library in Nineveh, which is uh, still there. There are there are ruins near the city of Mosul in Iraq. And that's where Sumer was. Uh, that's where the Sumerians were in Iraq. And um, the tablets that came from that great library, uh, 3000 BC, they were written. Uh, they were written in cuneiform, which was predates hieroglyphs. It is the earliest form of writing. Um, it started as pict pictograms, the same as hieroglyphs, but then became much more advanced and became proper handwriting. And... Um, and it was originally designed to be for financial records and account keeping. So it was quite detailed and very accurate. And there were thousands of these tablets found in the Great Library in the 1840s. And, uh, and they give great detail. Now, the Bible uh, rewrites the story of creation. So it rewrites the story as Adam and Eve and, uh, and how we all came to be and how humans were made. But that was taken directly from the previous version written on the tablets, which is thousands of years older, uh, which is much more detailed and talks about the Anunnaki. The Anunnaki, which their name means, came from heaven to earth. And, um, and it talks about how they made humans uh, genetically, through genetic engineering, to be miners, to be workers. I mean, they, they switched off that part of the DNA that I've just been talking about, which I find, this is the bit that gets me, is that, sorry to interrupt you, Alan, that sort of, we've got the, you know, the DNA and we only use a little bit of it. There's so much of it that's still not switched on, as it were. The light's not gone on. And as as is our brains, you know, and are they, are the Anunnaki responsible for switching off that information? Well, potentially. I mean, the thing is that it's it's widely accepted that those tablets are uh, 
are pretty accurate. They're very detailed records of what was going on at the time. Now, there is one part in this creation myth story um, which talks about how there was a, 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 an argument between two uh, Anunnaki brothers. Uh, one wanted to keep the humans and let them live, and the other one wanted to get rid, really, because they're quite troublesome. And so they decided that they'd um, they'd have a cataclysm, you know, they'd make a big flood, uh, get rid of everybody. And um, and these stories, the, the big story of the Great Flood, um, is another one which is written about in the Bible. Um, so if you believe what it says in the Bible, then you would believe that that was a historical fact. But, of course, a lot of historians say there was no such thing as a Great Flood. But since then, geologists have proved there was a Great Flood. And, um, and so... If you look at all the different cultures and the countries around the world, there are stories about the Great Flood in all of them. And uh, if you look at the geological evidence, there is sediment uh, in places where it shouldn't be and erosion from water in the middle of the Sahara Desert around the bottom of the Sphinx, for example. So there was definitely a Great Flood. And um, Irving Finkel, the curator of the British Museum, has proven as well that the Ark was a buildable object and, uh, and that the details about the Ark were perfectly accurate for building a very, very, very large boat. Um, so if that's the case and the flood actually happened, which now people believe it did, and that the evidence of water erosion on the Sphinx in the desert is a real thing and, uh, and the sediment found in places where it shouldn't be, that's, that's one thing to believe. But if that is true, then that means that a lot of the objects around the world like the Sphinx are thousands and thousands of years older than they're supposed to be. And then that brings in a whole different part of the story and the theory. And if you look at the places that have been found under the oceans, uh, the structures and pyramids and cities, then that means that they're an awful lot older. Now, if you look at other work from other experts, um, there is uh, Dr. Mark Coletta. Uh, he's uh, you know, respected by NASA as being somebody who, you know, they, they believe what he says. Um, he's had a look at the pools and the pole shifts and how all of the buildings are aligned in the world, how the uh, pyramids are aligned and uh, um, how other temples are aligned around the world. And he's found that the, a lot of them are not aligned as they should be to the North Pole. That's because the North Pole isn't where, isn't where it is now. It, isn't, it was in a different place then. And, and so he's lined them all up now that using technology that we actually have now he's been able to line up all of the ancient monuments and he notices that there are there's a whole set of monuments which point what to what should be north but isn't then there's a whole set which points into yet another place which should be north but isn't and he's mapped this to um the theories that even einstein believed were the case about where the pearls were uh, and where they shifted to and if he uses that as a date which makes a lot of sense then a lot of the buildings that we've thought were maybe 3,000 BC are actually 100,000 BC. And that means that all of our idea of um, the history and where we, were, where we were in the Stone Age, you know, I think uh, you called it last time we were chatting, um, plowing the fields with an arse bone of a giraffe, um, <laughs> yeah. was uh, not the case. In fact, we were building... We were building structures uh, with advanced architectural skills and advanced tools and uh, writing in 
you know, readable text and making records and being intelligent, doing mathematics thousands and thousands and thousands of years before history says we were. And the other thing is I, 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 that I find absolutely fascinating and um, it is the, you mentioned the Sphinx. What's the name, forgive me, I've forgotten, what's the name of the really long um, pointed structure? It's like a needle and they've got all the hieroglyphics going up, up it. It's called something. I've completely forgotten. My mind's just had a brain fart. But it, it, they've got all these amazing hieroglyphics on them and they took uh, structural engineers and they – uh, really looked very closely at all these hieroglyphics. And they said it wasn't possible um, back in the day for when they originally dated, when they thought the uh, pyramids and all those amazing monuments were built in Egypt, it wasn't possible for them to make such precise cuts within that stone using the most basic of tools. They would have had to have used some sort of laser which again just blows my mind because I think, well, who had that sort of equipment then? And for me, it would have to have been some higher sort of form of of, of person or people or, or race that had come down, and they were incredibly technological, and they had all this amazing equipment. I mean, you're—I know you're a skeptic, Alan, and 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 I, but I think Harrison, you're more of a believer, but. The way that you're talking, Alan, I mean, you really love all of this and you're you're talking and you're you're teaching me some of this stuff as I'm listening. Surely you can't be skeptical when you when you're putting all this together. I think what it is is um I'm not skeptical about the evidence because it's overwhelming. Um you've got people like uh, Dr. Robert Schock who has found um hieroglyphs in Gil uh Gilbeki Tepe. Uh, which predates the predates what we believe what what history tells us the date of the sphinxes is predated by twelve thousand years at Gilbeki Tepe, making it the oldest known writing in history. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so they have a, a temple which is which, which history says yes is twelve thousand years older than the sphinx. Yet there are hieroglyphs there, and that the the construction of the place is again quite advanced. Um, so what it is, is if, right, we know that lots of what history has told us can't be right because the geologists and the scientists and the curators are telling us it's not right. The question is, okay, so if that's not right, what, what's the truth? And that's the bit that I'm skeptical about. Um, and that is that people keep coming up with different ideas of what the truth is. And um, we know that the original isn't right, but we don't know what the truth is. And there's lots of different theories about it. And I'm skeptical about some of the theories. But I do agree that it's, yeah, the actual version we're taught in schools isn't correct. No. And so, and, and those versions do include, that I've just talked about on the show, evolution. I mean, what do you think about Darwin's theory? I think there's a missing piece. Um, Obviously, a lot of it is accurate, obviously but there is a main piece somewhere in that line of evolution that just is missing. Part of it just doesn't add up. It just leaps from one thing to another. And I think the Anunnaki connection, the Anunnaki involvement is that missing piece where the sort of jump-started the human race with genetic engineering. I mean, yeah, there's just so much evidence to point towards there being something else that we're just not taught that even Darwin didn't know what it was. Like he just completely missed out. And 
schools just seem to ignore it and jump right past it. It's funny, isn't it? As as when we're at school, we're sort of you know taught like like I've, I've just mentioned before. You know, you, well, I did. You you know, I, I think Alan, you're a similar age to me. You know, you were you had your morning assembly and you you did your prayers and you sang your hymns and it was all to this. You grew up, didn't you? Sort of just it was it was just accepted that this great big man in with a white beard you know, <laughs> looked down upon you and looked after you all and sent nasty people to hell and good people to heaven and, you know, say your prayers and and, and all of that, you know. And it was, it, you, you sort of grew up. It's only when you get to sort of, I think, in your teens that you start to question things. And, and I think it's really healthy to do your own research and, and question things. But obviously, some religions, you just absolutely daren't question anything. You know, it's dangerous to do that. I think we're treading on de- dangerous sort of territory, really, aren't we? Because, you know, religion it, it has caused wars and death, you know, because humans, I think religion is a, is a great thing, but I think humans, they can't handle it. I think we're sort of, well, I think we're incredibly destructive. Well, we are, aren't we, really? I think, you know, the Anunnaki, if they were real, I think they, the one that wants to kill us, as you say, Alan, <laughs> I think he was quite right. We are incredibly destructive. Yeah, and coming back to that, that sort of thing of this higher being, this God telling a human of this coming disaster, this coming flood, which uh, the Great Flood is mentioned in every culture from India to Norway, and because most people just think of it as Noah's Ark and Christians, but it comes up in almost every culture and religion. And the one thing that's always the same, the common denominator, is that there is a God, this higher being, non-human being, that warns a human that there is a coming flood and that they need to prepare for it. And that's how it is with the Anunnaki. Uh, One of them wanted to destroy the humans. They thought they'd go out of control. The other one thought they should be preserved. So he told one of the humans. And, I mean, there's a lot of theories to point towards as well. The Ark not actually being an Ark shape at all. They're actually being a pyramid. And, I mean... There's just so many different theories, but the one thing that's always the same in the cultures is there was a flood and a higher being told a human that it was going to happen and they should prepare. There's another theory, which is that, you know, they're keeping an eye on us. So all the natural disasters that that have occurred and, and world wars that have occurred um, is them. They're sort of making it happen. They're enforcing it. They're sort of almost whispering ideas into humans, you know, into, into their ears, you know, you're you Hitler and, and these awful people because they want to keep the population low. They want to, um, you know, keep on top of us, as it were, sort of pandemics, uh, illnesses, disease and so on. You know, um, this is all part of the theory, isn't it? It's all that sort of we are being unknowingly controlled by, by a higher being. Do you think that... They, all, they also talk about the fact that they have introduced technology to us, um, but we think it's our idea, but actually it isn't. It's it's theirs. It's possible. Um, I mean, there is a lot of theories to suggest that most of our biggest inventions to sort of a point where they just sort of appeared in history. There was no planning stage. It's almost like they just got introduced to us, introduced to, into our minds. And I think... This integration of technology has been going back for centuries and that whole theory 
which has been proved by, well, a lot more evidence to suggest it's not true, that there is, we are just the latest advanced civilization, technologically advanced civilization, and that there's been worldwide cataclysms that have wiped out previous advanced civilizations that could have gone so far to have nuclear capabilities, nuclear power. And, and if you think about it, if we had a nuclear war, global warming, uh, went up, goes, carries on going the way it's going to go, and we all get wiped out, thinking a few thousand years, a uh, hundred thousand years, there'd be no trace of us. All the skyscrapers, all our technology, everything would just be gone, and there'd be no trace of us. So what's to say that we aren't the first advanced civilization? What's to say that there was others that have been wiped out and forgotten over time? Yeah, I mean, they've found, haven't they, in certain structures, um, uh, vitrication, is that the right word for it, Um, of uh, certain, you know, stones and some of these ancient buildings. And that the scientists have pointed and said, well, that's only really caused by radiation. And they believe that, that they had, like an atomic bomb had happened thousands of years ago and wiped out that race. I mean, that to me just blows my mind well, yeah. on the pun, but it does. Now, the sceptic in me has to jump in there as well. Um, <laughs> and uh, this is a little window onto conversations between me and Harrison, really, I suppose. Um, and and that is that uh, geologist Robert Shock also uh, has a theory that there was a large solar flare, a very, very, very large solar flare. And, uh, and wow. this particular solar flare uh, melted the ice caps and um, and caused uh, destruction uh, across the whole planet, and that could have caused uh, uh, could have caused a massive flood. Um, it could also have caused um, uh, structures which already existed to show signs of radiation, perhaps. Yeah, I mean that's backed up by the yeah, that's a great theory. Yeah, that's backed up by the thirteen thousand year old Ashley, which was originally discovered in the Netherlands, but it's shown in ten countries on four different continents. And, you know, some people say it was a solar flare. It could have been some gigantic volcanic eruption that dropped ash all over the world or a nuclear disaster, a nuclear war. But either way, the one thing that's, well, certain now is there was something, there was something that happened that deposited ash the world over that also radiated structures and could have easily wiped out an entire advanced civilization like our own and that scientists and that scientists simply have no idea what that was it's a missing piece of history that they just seem to ignore or you see i'm also into cons- oh go on or you could go with the theory <laughs> of the pole shifts and that is that uh, you know science says that the poles do shift and if the poles uh, if the outer crust of the earth shifts um enough uh, then that would cause Another cataclysm, huge disaster, lots of uh, volcanic material flying around and an awful lot of water, and um, and that would change the structure of the Earth. Now, uh, even Einstein agreed that there has been um, these pole shifts, uh, which fits again with what Dr. Kletter was saying about the all of the buildings, the most ancient buildings, how they line up with the cardinal points, you know, all facing north, etc. Um, but north isn't there anymore, so that that all fits as well, and that that is another theory for how we lost a previous civilization, how we had a great big flood, and all of that, and why there's a big ashlar. I believe that there is a higher 
you know, something that created us. And I really believe in that. And, and I, I know that, you know, with my work that there is definitely, um, you know, it, it sort of ties in really with life after death. Also talking to another guest, um, about UFOs, um, you know, he, he worked and, and did research at, at Rendlesham and he talked about paranormal phenomena being there at Rendlesham and, and, and poltergeist activity that we, that's what we call, but, you know, stones being thrown and, and so on. I think it's all tied in. I think the whole of creation, UFOs, another race, what, what happens to us when we die, where we came from, I think it's all part of one big thing but what that thing is is what we're all trying to find out do you think that we will ever know do you think that we will one day all look up and go oh my god look at that spaceship they've come back to basically tell us that we've been very naughty and if we don't sort our stuff out it's we're gonna have another flood what do you reckon absolutely well, uh, but you do yeah well, harrison absolutely believes it Oh, well, yeah, I mean, that's the whole, that ties in with the whole judgment, the rapture. I mean, it, it's all about interpretation. All different cultures, all different religions, I believe, were visited by the same beings, the Anunnaki, and all just interpreted what they were seeing in different ways because every, every culture isn't going to draw in the same way. They're not going to have the same type of artwork. They're going to draw it in different ways. They're going to interpret it in slightly different ways, um, whether it's a judgment I mean, it's all the same. They come back eventually, Jesus returning, and they all get judged whether he should live or die, whether he sinned. The Anunnaki come back when the Nibiru next passes us in 2900, which is the year thought to be, um, every 3,450 years or so. I mean, it all ties in the same, that judgment, but it's the same in every culture, whether it's floods, judgment, creation, there's always some equivalent. Yeah, I've got to agree with him uh, on a lot of that. Um, but in answer to your question of whether or not I think there's a spaceship coming, um, uh, what? Right, I don't really get believe it that much. But what I do believe is that there's another possible answer, uh, and they may both be the same. But there's definitely another possible thing, and that is a lot of this could be explained by the fact that there was previous civilization or that history goes back an awful lot further than the books tell us that it does. Um, because that, if you take what Dr. Mark Colletta is saying and a lot of others and Robert Schock, then you would agree that maybe the buildings at Baalbek, uh, potentially the Parthenon, maybe the Temple of the Six Monoliths, maybe the Sphinx, um, are potentially 50,000 to 100,000 years old in actual fact. And that would mean that we've had an awful lot more time to become advanced and that we could well have been very advanced in the past, then had a massive natural disaster of some sort and had to start again, maybe more than once. And then that would also uh, answer, to a certain extent, going in with what you asked about Darwin, well, maybe the missing link is just an awful lot of time. I don't know. So good theories. There's, um, yeah, there's just so much we don't know. Absolutely. Do you know it's been absolutely fascinating. I love talking to you two. I can talk to you all day. Wonderful. Absolutely love it. Please come back and join us again, won't you? Oh, and by the way, have you been on any uh, any expeditions searching for UFOs recently? We have been on some small adventures, haven't we? 
we have. We've been to Bempton again. Yeah, we went back to Bempton because having talked about it on uh, the last episode that we did with you, mm. we were that excited we had to go back because we talked <laughs> ourselves back into going. <laughs> Brilliant. And what did you and, uh, see? Did you we find anything? To, um, we didn't, actually. Um, well, actually, on the way there. Oh, we did on the way there. We That's did right, on the yeah. way there. Well, I did. We was driving. Um, it was a... It was, well, it was one of the greatest skies we've ever seen. You could see the full Milky Way. It was beautiful, yeah. yeah. It was amazing. Clearest sky ever. See all the different clusters and constellations. But whilst I was driving there, um, just before we got into Driftfield, um, nice countryside, and I was sort of resting my head on the window, looking up at the sky, when I see something quite strange. It looks like, well, it looks like a, some cigar-shaped object, um, which you see come up a lot in UFO culture all over the world. And it looked, well, it looks like two lights, two satellite-sized lights, um, just white. But they're very close together and they're moving very fast and they're obviously with each other. They're not randomly there. And they're not moving how satellites move. And they're going over. And it almost looks like they were part of the same object and you could see this sort of darker space in between each one of them and they were moving with each other like they were part of the same object and it just looks like some huge tube-shaped object going over and really fast and quite low. So I don't know what that was. And could I just say that not surprisingly at all, um, I pulled the car over, jumped out, uh, got my red light out so that it, it didn't affect our night vision, looked up, and it had gone. Because that's always what seems to happen mm. when I go to look at something. Um, he's a lot more lucky than I am, is the lad. I was going to say, uh, I, I need to I need you to come with you because I'm always looking up at the, up at the sky. You seem to attract them, Harrison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get that does. yeah. Exactly. Does. Well, listen, join me next time uh, when, we, when we talk some more. And, uh, and uh, yeah, keep looking at the skies and let me know if you see anything else. Well, thank you for listening to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding. Do you think our evolution was aided by otherworldly beings? Please get in touch. I want to know what you think. We'll be back at the same time, same place next week. Stay up to date with the newest episodes by giving us a follow. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review. We want to hear from you. So please send in an audio clip telling us your paranormal story. This is the address, paranormalactivitypod at gmail.com. That's paranormalactivitypod at gmail.com and you can get in touch on whatsapp and send a voice note to us on this number 075-999-27537 that's 075-999-27537 and follow us on our instagram page as well which is at paranormal activity pod that's at paranormal activity pod remember things aren't always as they seem Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.